0: If you wanna go fast, go alone. But if you wanna go far, go with a group. Folks, this podcast is brought to you by The Real Leaders Impact Collaborative, our once a month virtual impact CEO peer groups who meet to support each other with whatever is keeping them up at night. I joined the group back in September, and if I had to say the one major takeaway that I've received, is that to not let things outside business affect your on-court performance. This little change has certainly reflected in our business growth and development. And when our members do well, more lives are transformed. That's what impact is all about. So if you're interested, please email us at info at real-leaders.com. Just say the podcast sent you and you want to speak to someone about the Impact Collaborative. Again, that's info at real-leaders.com. Enjoy the show. In four, three, two, and one. And welcome everyone to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast, where leaders keep it real. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today is the consciously incompetent, probably wrong, roughly right, CEO and chairman of the board of WD40. Please welcome Gary Ridge. Gary, thanks for being with us today. Hey,
1: Kevin, I'm glad you used uh, my preferred intro.
0: (laughs) So you got to walk our audience through how you came up with this preferred intro. What's the reasoning behind it?
1: Well, you know, uh, a lot of leaders think that they have all the answers and if they have all the answers, then they're really not developing the people they lead. And I learned a long time ago that I don't have all the answers. Um, so in most circumstances, I'm probably wrong and roughly right. And I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with that. And uh, I get to surround myself with brilliance. So that's really important. And, you know, consciously incompetent. It's a, it's a funny way of saying, you, you're always learning. You're always having something new to learn. The world is changing so quickly around us today. And, uh, you know, we need to ask ourselves a question, you know, why am why do I believe what I believe today? Um, and I, uh, being able to introduce like that, I think, you know, really states the point that, you know, I don't have all the answers.
0: So, Gary, where does this mindset come from, man? Like, are, the, are these all experiences? Were you, were you born this way? Have you always been this way? What does this philosophy come from?
1: Well, it comes from a lot of scar tissue um, in life. Uh, in, interestingly enough, I grew up in Sydney, Australia, and as a young young boy, you know, I used to come home from school and there was a a television show with a a professor. His name was Pre- Professor Julia S- Sumder miller And he used to do kind of crazy like experiments, like sucking boiled eggs into a milk bottle. But he'd always finish every experiment with this question. Why is it so? And I think I've always been quite curious. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, having the opportunity to lead people, um, which I've... Been given that that honour for a number of years here at WD40. I learned three most powerful words, and those most powerful words are "I don't know." Hmm. And if you get comfortable with those three words of "I don't know," um, then you really do open up the opportunity to learn from others. So I think that uh, you know you you learn along the way through scar tissue, or as I call learning moments, uh, and you learn to understand what's important, and what's important is putting people in a place where they enjoy what they do so they can do great work.
0: So describe to our audience what the state of WD-40 was like. What was the culture like when you came in? What was your experiences beforehand? And walk us through kind of those road bumps, those scar tissue that helped you develop this mindset.
1: Well, I was very fortunate. The culture at WD-40 was um, a good culture for, for the time when I joined them 35 years ago. Um, but as we started to expand globally, um, we needed to go from a culture that was reasonably insular to one that was very expanded. And you know, back in you know, 1999, we were about a fifth of the size, we are now in revenue, and about a 10th of the size in market cap. And most of our business was in the United States, but we had a dream. And our dream was to take the blue and yellow can with the little red top to the world. And something became very clear to me micromanagement was not scalable. If we were to take this to the world, we had to build an organization that empowered people right at the spot where they are. And those sort of organizations are built through having a very clear, firstly, having a dedication to being a people culture, having a very clear purpose, and then having a compelling set of values that not only help people set themselves free, but give them the boundaries of which we want to travel. And I learned that because I went back to school soon after becoming CEO. I went to the University of San Diego. I did a master's degree in leadership. That's where I met my dear friend and my mentor, Ken Blanchard, the One Minute Manager. He was my professor. And Ken is you know, certainly one of the great servant leaders of the world. And learned that, you know, if we are to um, build these sort of organizations that I would describe as this. Imagine a place where you go to work every day. You make a contribution to something bigger than yourself. You learn something new. You're set free and protected by a compelling set of values and you go home happy. Mm -hmm. Because happy people create happy families. Happy families create happy communities. And happy communities create a happy world. And when I looked out around the world of leadership, I didn't see leaders creating that type of environment. I read once something of the Dalai Lama, and he said, our purpose in life is to make people happy. If we can't make them happy, at least don't hurt them. And ego-driven leaders were not creating that environment. And we felt that that was the sort of environment we wanted to create here at WD-40 Company.
0: So... uh I love what you said about values and them not being requirements, but something that can really empower, you know, the individuals. Explain to us how you came up and how you come up with core values in the company and how you roll them out uh, to the team.
1: Well, the, you know, you can't gift people values. They have to be something that they align with. So probably uh, around the year 2000, we gathered a group of our then tribal leaders together. And we did an exercise to try and determine what were the core values that were important to us within the organization. And we came up with a set of values. And our our number one value is we value doing the right thing. Our number two value is we value creating positive, lasting memories in all of our relationships. And number three is we value making it better than it is today. And number four is we value succeeding as a tribe while excelling as an individual. We value owning it and positively acting on it. And we value sustaining the WD-40 economy. So these were the values we believed that we wanted to have as our guideposts in the organization. And the way that we have these values lived every day is we embed these in the conversation that we have all the time. And we only have two measures of values. You either live them or you visit them. And we don't want visitors. Mm. So, in fact, at least every 90 days, we ask our tribe members globally to give us examples on how they've lived those values. Mm. And that's what really embeds them in the organization.
0: It seems like it's, it's a shared belief. Yeah, you're telling the story, and it's a story everyone wants to be a part of. Uh, it, it, something that you said there was positive lasting memories, and you describe your organization as being in the business of positive lasting memories. Can you describe to our audience, you, you mentioned Tribe, you mentioned these memories, how you, what you call your employees and why you say you're in the business of positive lasting memories?
1: Well, <clears throat> if you think about our, our why statement for the, for the company, We exist to create positive, lasting memories, solving problems in factories, homes and workshops around the world. We solve problems and we create opportunities. So if we come to work every day and and a memory is something that is really valuable to us. So if we, you know, I could say to people, come to work every day and help me stop a squeak. Yee, Okay. But what if we created positive, lasting memories for our end users in And if you think about the brand itself, there has not been many occasions where around the world, when I've said, oh, I work for WD-40, someone hasn't said to me, I remember when. I remember when I worked on a farm with my granddad. I remember when I fixed my bicycle. I remember when I was made a hero by repairing something in the house. So we're in the memories business. And those positive lasting memories are the things that drive us every day. And they're not, And you know, if you think about our just cause, it's to make life better at work and at home. So we don't want to just create positive lasting memories for our end users. We want to create them for the people who come to work every day at WD40 Company. We call ourselves a tribe and our tribal promise is a group of people that come together to protect and feed each other and the number one responsibility of a tribal leader is to be a learner and a teacher so we here, every one of the leaders here who are called coaches not managers are here to do just that
0: gary do you see a, a ripple effect and when when someone is able to have a positive experience day in day out in a company and go back home and share that positive experience do you think that resonates in the, the culture here in San Diego? Do you think that has a ripple effect in the community?
1: Absolutely. You know, one of the sad things that I read just recently was there was some research done by ADP Global Research. They, they asked 1,900 companies around the world, and 86% of the people who were going to work there were disengaged, which means they weren't doing work that was meaningful to them. And making a difference in their life. Aristotle, who was born in 384 BC, said, Pleasure in the job puts perfection in the work. Now imagine if you're enjoying what you do and you go home happy, are you gonna treat your family, your wife, your kids, those around you better than if you went home cranky and grumpy and in a bad mood? Well, I, you, I think, Kevin, you know the answer to that question. Mm. So we wanna send people home happy.
0: Gary, how many employees do you have and and what's like a, a an ideal or I guess a your churn your turnover rate?
1: Oh, our retention rate is very high. In fact, oh, yeah. we're just um just the last couple of days where we were celebrating our um our America's meeting in, in virtual form and, and we're giving out 30, 25, 20, 15 year service pins. Um you know, I've been here for thirty-five years. Our CEO's COO's been here for thirty years. Um, so, and we have a employee engagement a measurement of ninety-three percent, and ninety-eight percent of our tribe members globally say they love to tell people they work at WD Forty Company. Ninety-eight percent of our people say they're excited about the company's future. And when you think about people today, particularly as we've gone been riding the COVID roller coaster. Mm. What do people want to know, Kevin? They want to know where are we heading, how am I doing, and how does my future fit into our plans? Because this huge amount of uncertainty that we've been thrust into over the past nearly two years has really put people in a place where they're more fearful than free. And fear is one of the, the most disabling emotions we have. So what we want to do is say to people, hey, you know, this is a place where we know where we're heading. We here's how you are doing and here's how you fit into and help us craft our future.
0: Gary, how do you measure engagement in your organization?
1: Um, We've been doing employee opinion surveys since uh, the year 1999. So we have a set of questions that we ask our tribe globally. Um, there's about 20 questions that we ask um, and um, we, we, we used to do it every year. We now do it every two years because getting to 93 percent, our stated public goal is to get that to 95 percent. So moving the needle is a little harder now than it was when we we're down at you know, 70 and 60 percent. Um, so it's and we've used an outside independent uh, research firm to do it from day one. It's completely confidential. Uh, we get a nine, plus 90% participation rate from our tribe globally. Hmm. So the numbers are real. Um, and we give the numbers back to our, our tribe because they're the ones that can make the difference. You
0: know, it just goes to show when you have leadership like that, what it can really do is sustain the company, keep people in the company and engaged. And the productivity seems to show and, and result from that. Um, I am curious though, 1953, the company started. You've been in the organization for 29 years, which means you've seen a lot. You've seen a few recessions. I did read a, a passage from Chester Elton's book about the 2008 financial crisis. What have been the key takeaways and the differences from 2008 financial crisis to what you're dealing with in 2020 and 2021 with COVID?
1: Um, again, what, where we were fortunate and what I'm grateful for is in both at both times we entered those challenging times with a very high employee engagement, which means also there's a lot of transparency, a high degree of trust, and we as leaders, our role was to ensure that we continued to keep people abreast of where we were, what we were doing, but not only what we were doing, why are we doing it? Um, and it's really interesting that as you know, I call it um, cultural equity, and I have a a algorithm for culture, culture equals values plus behavior times consistency. So in all of these times, we relied on our values and our tribe knew that we would make decisions based on our values. Mm -hmm. And we knew that our values would drive our behaviors and we did it every day, every day, every day. Mm -hmm. Halfway through the COVID, Roller coaster, you know, I wanted to check whether we were draining any, any cultural equity. So we went out and we, we did a mid-term check-in of our employee engagement scores. They were equal to or better than when we went into COVID. And then I asked, why would that be like that? And here's what the feedback we got. If we can get through this together as we are, A group of people that's dedicated that comes together to protect and feed each other we can get through anything together we're excited about the future
0: it's impressive what you guys have been able to do at wd-40 gary i don't think you mentioned how many employees do you have
1: oh we have just about 600.
0: okay just about 600. so i'm just going to assume here take a wild guess that you are unable to interview all of these people that come into this organization. However, I do know that you have a presence in the room. What is your hiring process like and how has it changed over the years?
1: Well, I think the, th- the one thing that is really dominant in our hiring process, and if you go to our, um, our careers page, the first thing that flies up at you is here are our values. And if you're aligned with these values, please call us. If you're not, call someone else because we our values are the most important part of our of of the success of our business Um, and we like to hire people into roles where we can help develop them where they can continue to learn we want to give them the opportunity to expand their knowledge we have a a really rigorous training program or number of training programs across the company now we we have offices in 17 countries around the world. We have more employees or tribe members outside of the United States than we have in the United States. We have 65 people in, in China. We have over 200 people in various countries in, in Europe, uh, Mexico, Australia, Canada. So that diversity is so important to us because we're getting diversity of culture, of people right through the organisation. So number one hiring practice, do you align with our values?
0: I think what's also important there is that when you have those values, you're also able to understand who you don't want, what to eliminate. When it comes to a decision-making role uh, in WD-40, being such a specific product, innovation, how are you making decisions with how to stay relevant in this world? What are you rejecting? What are you accepting?
1: Well, one of the great questions we ask in any innovation we do is how will this create a positive lasting memory with our end users and if it won't we won't do it and in the last number of years we've innovated across a number of platforms number one is in our delivery systems um yeah. we you know we just released a a new product about a year and a half ago called easy reach which is the, the, the wd-40 you know and love in the can but it has an eight inch flexible metal straw attached to the can so it can get to places that are hard to get to. How did we come up with that innovation? We went out and we observed our heavy end users, the auto mechanics, the artisans and the tradesmen. And we said, tell us some problem that you have, that if we could solve it, it would create a positive lasting memory. And what they said, hey, we have opportunity to get product to hard to get to places. Can you help us do that? Mm. And millions and millions of dollars worth of investment later, We have a product now that has a um and i have one here actually that has a flexible straw so an end user if you can imagine an auto mechanic up underneath a a, a vehicle trying to get some wd-40 to a manifold bolt that's behind an axle now it's easy so that creates a positive lasting memory for our end users. The same with other developments we've had in our specialist product range. So, and you know, the other thing that we do a lot and we've been really, really focused in the last five years is is that digital connection. Mm. You know, people today are going out and they're searching for how to, how do you do this? How do you do that? Making sure that our how to instruction on places like YouTube and other areas is helping prob- people solve those problems.
0: Mm. So would you say the main driver of innovation in your organization is listening to customers and your employees or do you think it's more of the the cultural strategy?
1: Well, I think culture is a competitive advantage. Okay. There's two things you have in business Kevin that are really important. The will of the people and your strategy. Mm. And your strategy encompasses, you know, your marketing, your product development, your innovation. So Let's say that you know, we have a strategic plan that has a number of what we call must win battles in it. We determine the things we're going to focus our time, talent and treasure on. And let's say we take that, that business plan, that strategy plan to some smart professor and we say, hey, give, us a, give us a grade out of 100. What, how do you grade our strategy? And they come back and they say, OK, well, we'll give you 70 out of 100. No strategy is 100 percent right. This one's pretty good. But let's say then the will of the people or your engagement is 10. Mm. 10 times 70 is 700. Great strategy, but you the will of the people is low. They're not passionate about mm. doing what we said. Mm. But if you've got an employee engagement number or an engagement of 80, 80 times 70 is a huge number. Mm-hmm. So it's about not only having a robust, executable strategy that meets end user needs and delivers on the business, but you have to have a culture that's a competitive advantage, which means a highly engaged workforce.
0: Gary, these are great lessons. You mentioned you're also a professor at USD. You learned from Ken Blanchard at USD, but most of your leadership came from the hard times, the scar tissue how do you teach leadership and can you teach it well
1: let's define i love simon senek's definition of leadership leadership is not about being in charge leadership is about taking care of the people in your charge and most leaders are driven by ego instead of empathy i shared with you this guy al the soul-sucking ceo and I, I, I invented this person because I wanted to talk about his behaviors and what he did. And, and let me just describe some of Al's behaviors. He's the master of control. He's the know-it-all. He thinks he's corporate royalty. He thinks learning is for losers. His ego eats his empathy instead of his empathy eating his ego. He has all the answers. He's, he must always be right. He loves a fear-based culture. He thinks micromanagement is essential. He never follows through on his commitments, and he he hates feedback. And that's what Al, the soul-sucking CEO, does. So what do you need to teach or share about leadership that's important to the other side of that? The servant leader involves and loves their people. They're always in servant leadership mode. They're expected to be competent. They are connected with emotional intelligence. They love learning. They have a heart of gold and a backbone of steel. They are champions of hope. They know micromanagement isn't scalable. They do what they say they do and they treasure the gift of feedback. Those are the elements of creating an empathy-based leader or a servant leader that creates a culture where people enjoy going to work versus the culture that the toxic culture that Al, the soul sucking CEO, through his behavior creates.
0: And I think if you were to ask anyone listening to this too, Gary, uh, if, if they were to know someone like Al, I think everyone would raise their hand and say, Yep, yep, I work with them. Yep, yep, I, I've worked for them at one point in their lifetime. Um, for the owls out there in the world, how do you change your mindset? Um,
1: you've got to be committed to it. You've got to be committed to the fact that you don't have all the answers that. And again, you've got to be a, you've got to play the infinite game, not the finite game, because Al likes playing the finite game. And the way to win is to play the infinite game. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of the expectations, particularly of, you know, public companies, is what are you going to do for me in the next 90 days you know you can't build an enduring company in 90 day intervals you know you have to build an enduring company over time and you know that's the that's the thing that's really important we've we've proven that if you play the infinite game over time you can create a great culture that people enjoy being part of and you can Create exceptional value for not only the people who work in the company, but for those who trust the company with their investment. Over the last you know twenty some years, we've had a compounded annual growth rate of total shareholder return of about fourteen percent. Our market cap's gone from just under three or just over three hundred million to over three billion dollars, and we've you know five our revenue. How did we do that? We just sell oil in a can? No, we don't. We create positive, lasting memories using culture as a competitive advantage.
0: Gary, it's just such sage advice today on the show, and, and I, I do want to go a little bit deeper. I do want to talk about the scar tissue a little bit more. Could you share with us a few of the largest mistakes that you've made? A few of the largest, not mistakes, maybe they're learning experiences that you've uh, experienced at your time at WD-40.
1: Sure. I, I might have shared it with you before. I've never made a mistake in my life. Mm. What I've had is thousands of learning moments. Mm. We don't make mistakes at WD-40. We call them learning moments. And one of the la- big learning moments was creating the learning moment because people are, are, are fearful of making a mistake because of the environment that we live in. So what we said is we're going to take the word failure out of our vocabulary. We're going to replace it with a learning moment. And what's the definition of a learning moment, a positive or negative outcome of any situation that needs to be openly and freely shared to benefit all people. So number Mm. one, one of my big learning moments was understanding the power of the learning moment. Another big learning moment I had in life was getting comfortable with three words, I don't know. Mm. Um, I remember when I first moved to the United States many years ago, I think it was in 1994, I was sitting in a meeting. And uh, there was someone from an outside organization presenting some information and data to us. And uh, I, I was about 10 minutes into this meeting and I'm scratching my head and I'm thinking, you know, I, I'm probably not as stupid as I think I am, but I have no clue what this person's talking about.
0: Mm.
1: So I put up my hand. I said, excuse me, I'm sorry. I haven't been in this country for very long. You know, just I have no idea where you're going with what you're sharing. Mm. And everyone in the room went, oh, Oh, thank goodness. Because nobody else knew either. So another big learning moment is be brave enough in a in a caring way to say, you know, I don't understand. I mean, I mean, you know, a lot of people camouflage issues with confusion to make out how smart they are. Mm -hmm. Take off that camouflage. Just get it down to Give it to me in a simple way. Mm. Another learning moment that I've had in life is, you know, what, one of the things that we really struggle with as leaders is giving that redirectional feedback. You know, mm. if we've got a, a, a colleague or a tribe member or someone that we see they're heading in the wrong direction or they're, they're, they're veering out of their lane and they're, it's going to hurt them, and we, we, we know we need to have that conversation, we are more worried about that conversation than the person who's going to get that conversation delivered to them. And what I've learned is the more you love and care about someone, the more important it is to have that conversation Mm. because you don't want them to, to, to fall off and to hurt themselves. And I'll give you an example of how values help you with that, Kevin. Mm. Our second value as I shared is to create positive lasting memories in all of our relationships. Some time back, quite some time back, I was in a meeting, And someone in the meeting uh, was not creating positive lasting memories. They were having a really bad morning. In fact, you could feel the toxins coming out of them. And you could feel the emotion in the room changing Mm. because they were having a bad morning. Mm. So what do you do about that? At the end of the meeting, I said to this person, hey, let's go for a walk. So we walked out of our building and I started to look behind a car and under a tree and in a trash can. And this person said, what the hell are you doing, Gary? I said, I'm looking for you, Kevin. What do you mean you're looking for me? I said, the Kevin I know and love was not in that room today. Hmm. What's on your mind? Hmm. Talk to me. Hmm. What's on your mind? So we had a conversation and this person had had a, a bad morning. They, you know, kicked their toe on the bed, spilt their coffee, got flipped off driving to work, all these things that brought them to the point that when they entered the the building, they were not the leader they should be. Mm. So we had a coaching session around that. It, it, It was quite obvious that, you know, it wasn't the way we wanted to lead. Now, if I hadn't have had that conversation, but if I hadn't have had our values to rely on to have that conversation, how would you enter that conversation? So another learning moment is, have the values to be able to give you the platform to, to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the here's the ending, the real ending to that story, Kevin. That I noticed that person went back into the building and visited a couple of people that were in the room and said, you know, sorry, mate, had a bad morning and I didn't mean to be like that. Mm-hmm. And they all said, we know that's not you, Kevin. Mm-hmm. The next day, I observed people going to that person and saying, How are you today, Kevin? Is everything okay? Is there anything I can do for you? Mm -hmm. So again, another learning moment is having the values to be able to rely on, to be able to help people to not only step into the best version of their personal self, but when they step out of that, to be able to redirect them.
0: It's powerful, you know, and it resonates with everyone, including myself. You know, we have those days when we show up and we're just not into it and it just takes over. The room it takes over the conversation, um, and it really gets in the way of of uh, of making change in the organization. Gary, what do you do uh, outside of work to get you in the right mindset so that when you come to work, uh, you're fully present?
1: So a couple of things, so, you know, I have this old scrappy notebook here, um, but on on this notebook on the front page, and on my desk I have a little a little sign, and I learned this from Marshall Goldsmith. Who wrote a great book, What got you here won't Get you there. He's also been a great mentor of mine over the years. and here's the question I continually ask myself: Am I being the person I want to be right now? And then I have a list of who is that person? So here's who I want to be. I want to be caring. I want to be I want to have empathy, I want to be reasonable, I want to be a listener. I want to be fact-based, I want to be balanced, and I want to be a curious learner. Hmm. And I'm continually asking myself that question. Hmm. The other thing is I have a why statement that I try to remind myself of. And here it is. I get to wake up every day to do something that I love. I get to inspire people to create positive, lasting memories. It's the most wonderful thing in the world. The best part is trying to figure out all the different ways I can do that. And whether it's on the front of my crappy notebook or on my desk here, I have to remind myself of that because I will easily get out of my lane and I don't want to be out of my lane. But the world around me, the circumstances we live in and some of the things we do will do its best to push me out of the lane. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be out there because when I've been out there, I hated it. I want to get back into that lane.
0: Mm. Gary, do you feel like you are a part of the organization? Like, like if you were to retire one day, let's say, and you know, God forbid something happens to you and you're, you're on your deathbed, you, and you think you will look back and you say uh, that same why statement that you just had today about creating lasting memories, explain to our audience what you mean by that and being so ingrained in, in the company.
1: Well, You know, firstly, I am not the culture. I was given the opportunity to plant the seed that grew this wonderful culture that's in this company. It belongs to the tribe now. And we, the tribe, believe it's a competitive advantage. They value it. They want to sustain it. They like being part of it. But me, the Gary, the person, I go back to my statement. That I love from the Dalai Lama. Our purpose in life is to make people happy. If we can't make them happy, at least don't hurt them. Mm. And I want to be that caring, that empathetic, that reasonable, that person that's a listener, that fact based, balanced, curious learner, whether I'm here at WD 40 or anywhere else, Mm. because that's what I like to be. I want to continue to help people create positive, lasting memories. The reason I'm here with you today is I only do things that are meaningful to me. Mm. And meaningful to me means they matter to me and make a difference to someone else. Mm. So I'm not here today to tell anybody how good I am. I'm Mm. not here today to do any of that. I'm here today to share that there is a time for leadership, and it's now. Mm. We as business leaders can change the world. We touch more people every day than anybody else, and we can send people home happy. And by goodness, we need a happy world, so we can do that. Mm -hmm. And I want to encourage leaders to be like that. I want them to think about being empathetic. I want them to think about their empathy eating their ego instead of their ego eating their empathy because they can make a difference in people's lives.
0: And it makes sense why you're out, you're having these conversations, you're writing these books, you're inspiring, you're in the business of transforming lives, that's what you're doing. And, and so it really makes sense uh, why you're continuing to balance you know, your, your everyday, your day-to-day work with a meaningful conversation like that to influence the masses. If you think further down the line, you think about the exit point, the exit point from the organization, what do you think your legacy will be?
1: Um, m- my legacy will be an organization that has allowed people to live a life that is meaningful to them and impactful to others.
0: Mm. Powerful. The, the thing that's, uh, really stands out to me, Gary is, is, um, not only your purpose, and, and we find this in common with a lot of the real leaders we have here, but um, really how you've been able to do this and grow the company. Speak about those locations around the world. Do you believe that that purpose is shared? Do you believe that that culture that you're creating around the world is the reason why you've been able to sustain, grow, and have an international impact?
1: Oh, without doubt. Again, it's the will of the people. You know, our employee engagement numbers are as strong in France as they are in China as they are anywhere else around the world because it's our purpose and our values that drive our behaviour and give us the pleasure of the work we do. Mm. You know, our tribal culture of belonging, of learning and teaching is so important. So absolutely, I, I have no doubt that uh, our success is due to the will of the people and a reasonable
0: strategy. Uh, you mentioned a few times, Gary, the words, I don't know. When was the last time you said, I don't know? Uh, and and what were the results after you said that? Um, Give us an example.
1: Probably about three hours ago <laughs> um, when I was uh, trying to operate a new piece of equipment that um, we've installed here in the TP that we call our, our building. We've just put in these wonderful uh, surface boards that replaced another virtual system we had. And I was down in one of our conference rooms and someone was trying to work something out and I have no clue how to do this. We need to get people to help us. And fortunately we've got some pretty smart people in IT, but uh, yeah, I say it all the time, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I kind of feel good when I don't know because I think the other side of that is I'm gonna learn something new. You know. When was the last time, Kevin, you did something for the first time?
0: Probably surfing, <laughs> probably surfing for the first time. And that's interesting. You asked, do you want to continue on that?
1: Well, when, you know, I love that question. When was the last time you did something for the first time? Yeah. And if we think about it, we do things for the first time every day,
0: mm. but mm. we
1: don't really reflect on those. Ah,
0: interesting. I was going to say, because that was a year ago. Let's talk about this though. Uh, doing things for the first time. That's a lot of fear sometimes you got to overcome. How do, you, how do you perceive fear?
1: Um, in the absence of f- facts and data, we make up stories. And those stories really are sometimes inflamed by fear. Mm. So, what I realized, and I learned this during COVID, in times of real and great need, we can pivot around fear. Example, the amount of time we are spending on a virtual platforms these days, We, if it wasn't for COVID and when we, we, being virtually competent became compulsory, we wouldn't be where we are today because all of this technology exists. It was there, but we were afraid that we were not going to be able to use it. You know, on, As I said, I was just... Just came off a virtual meeting that we're having with our America's tribe, and our one of our senior leaders was um, giving some updates and who's barking in the background, but boomer the dog mm. now, get comfortable with that. it happens you know mm. that's you know I noticed in our in our interaction here you know you were doing some adjusting because the the camera wasn't right and but you didn't feel bad about that I mean. It's, it's the life we live now. So in, the, in, in, in times of real and great need, we can pivot around fear. Mm. And that fear of the unknown is usually filled by, fueled by us not having the information we want. Or think about uncertainty. What is uncertainty? Uncertainty is a series of future events that may or may not occur. In reality, most of them don't occur. Most of them don't. But Mm. if we can look at them practically and say, you know, what's the chances? You know, people can deal with risk, but we have trouble dealing with uncertainty. That's why, you know, I said to you, people today wanna know where are we heading, how am I doing, and how does my future fit into our plans together? Mm. Removing that uncertainty, which will also fuel fear.
0: Gary, who do you go to for advice?
1: I'm fortunate to be in a number of different Groups. Uh, you mentioned Chester Elton before, but the 100 Coaches group that I'm involved in. You know, I, I still have my, my mentor, Ken Blanchard. Um, you know, he's 82 years old now. And in fact, I, I play nine holes of golf with him most Wednesday afternoons when he's in town so we can spend some time together. Um, but, you know, I, the world gives me advice every day if I'm prepared to listen to it. Hmm.
0: You mentioned COVID storytelling people being inside isolated telling themselves stories and that stories becomes a reality how did you get people to come back into the office and make sure that they were present and that they were stepping into their greatness and making the world a better place or your organization a better place every day what did you run into
1: well, you know, here's another learning we've had. A lot of people have been talking about working from home or working remotely. We, we've learned that we can effectively work and not be in the office all the time. So we designed a philosophy, not, which is called work from where. And now, because one of the things that became clear to us is it wasn't a matter of working from home, but we've been working from where a long time where it could be on a plane at 37,000 feet flying across the south pacific ocean it could be in a hotel room it might be wherever so we've said to people we trust you but also there are times when we need to come together particularly when we want to collaborate you know we're we're social animals and we've been coming back to our office here in san diego the last week or two mm-hmm. and what what i what i see is you know there's about 25 to 50% of the people in here at any one time. But then those that are here, seeing that interaction with them, because the person that we said, I'll see you Monday morning to back in March 2020, is not the same person that we're saying hello to walking in the office now. They have been through their own personal hero's journey. And when COVID came, it was like turning off a light switch. Bang. Coming back, you can't turn the light switch on. It has to be a dimmer switch. You have to turn it up and turn it back, turn it up, turn it back, because people have been on their own personal hero's journey. So yes, I think the work environment has changed. I think leaders and companies who went out there and said, everybody's got to come back to work or everybody can stay at home. I think those two extremes are not going to exist. I think we're going to end up somewhere in the middle and Mm -hmm. it'll take us a little time now to move that dimmer switch.
0: Gary, you titled this episode, It's All About the People. And quite frankly, that's been throughout this entire episode. It's all it's been about, just the people. So, Gary Ridge, let's bring this home. What is your definition of a real leader?
1: Someone who has their empathy eat their ego instead of their ego eat their empathy, empathy. And someone who gets up every day wanting people. To help people to step in the best version of their personal self. Taking care of the people. Leadership's not about being in charge. Leadership's about taking care of the people in your charge.
0: For Gary Ridge, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, help people step into the best version of themselves. And always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Gary. And thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast with Gary Ridge. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Gary, now it's time to kind of pass over to the crowd listening here on Crowdcast. So if you are tuning in today, if you're on LinkedIn, come on over to Crowdcast and ask Gary a few questions here. And Gary, the first one flew in, and this comes from Noah. Uh, Noah asks, from, from Gower Brown, uh, or this is from Gower Brown, on, rather, on the chat, with such a low turnover rate, what is your strategy for handling brain drain as employees retire?
1: Oh, so even though we've got um, a, a low turnover rate, you know, our employee numbers have grown substantially over the years. So, you know, we've got a I, I don't believe in succession planning, I believe in bench building. And so one, of, and if you do a great job building the bench, succession will happen. So um, through the organization, uh, we've got a everybody has a personal development plan. Um, As I said earlier, we have a number of different programs within the company, both internally and externally, to help build competency. So the number one responsibility of a tribal leader is to be a learner and a teacher. So, you know, everybody here is helping others learn what they need to learn to be competent in their role. Mm. And I'll give you a beautiful example, beautiful example. We opened an office in uh, Shanghai, China, 14 or 15 years ago. Our second employee there is a person by the name of Grace. She joined us as an administrative assistant. Uh, Grace um, had a passion to develop herself. So she went from that into human resources. She then said she wanted, she had a passion to learn supply chain. Um, we sponsored her going back to university and she did a, a master's degree in supply chain management. She then developed her skills to manage our Asia Pacific supply chain. Fast forward two years ago, Grace became the country manager of our of, of China, our, our one of our fastest growing, biggest growth opportunities wow. in the world. So, and I can tell you many, many stories like that, where people have been given the opportunity to pivot to go from one competency to another as long as we've supported the master's degree that i did in leadership from the university of san diego we have 34 people in the company now with that same master's degree that mm. we've sponsored through that program mm.
0: and you gotta love that too when someone's just uh coming into your organization with that mindset already of learning uh being willing to learn keep learning listening and saying i don't know uh, Gary, another question flew in from Julie and she asked, in a world of leaders who operate in silos, how do you think more leaders can come together to share and utilize collective wisdom? Will you be continuing to mentor others?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, this is give back time. Um, you know, I learned from Marshall Goldsmith in one of the the pledges we made when he put together, his a 100 coaches group, which is now, there's 300 of us, is we pledge to give everything that we've learned and all of our scar tissue away for free. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I hope to continue to share with people the things that we've learned along the way. And uh, and it's something I'm really passionate about.
0: Gary, it's been a pleasure having you on the Releers podcast today. Last question is a silly one, and that is, what is your favorite golf course here in San Diego?
1: <laughs> My favorite golf course... Um, well, only because I like its uh, its, it's three nine-hole courses and it's Oaks North, because that's where I play with Ken Blanchard. Madeiras um, will break my back. Um, uh, but just recently also, once a year, I get to play over at, uh, the La Jolla Country Club because I'm uh, chairman of the CEOs Against Cancer in San Diego and I uh, love that organization and um, doing its best to fund cancer research. And, so I got to play over
0: there just did a few weeks
1: ago. Story Pine is not bad either.
0: Not bad at all, exactly. No, we go surfing at Blacks every now and then and of course yeah, we yeah, play yeah. Carlton Oaks too for Gary, it's been a pleasure having you on the show then, my friend. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on. Keep being the light that you are. And for everyone out there, always folks, keep it real. Thanks, Gary. Cheers. And thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast. And before we go today, I just want to make sure that you are all aware that we have now launched our new Real Leaders membership. If you want to give access to all of Real Leaders Magazine, private member-only events, and free courses online, hit the link in the show notes and enter in coupon code PODCAST20 to receive 20% off a $100 dollar a year subscription. Hit the link in the show notes, enter in coupon code podcast20 to receive access to all of Real Leaders to get you to the next level. Thanks for listening to this episode and always keep it real.